Welcome to the Live Your Purpose podcast. This show is created to help overwhelmed moms rediscover peace and purpose in their everyday lives. Hey friends, welcome back to the show. This is the second part of my series on the book Pavarotti and Pancakes, which was written by my friend Frank Granary. And it is a book written about his family, but specifically his mother, who really struggled with mental health and addiction, sexual abuse, lots of lots of issues that are just hard hitting and really deep and just create a life of sadness and dysfunction for everyone around them. In the first Pavarotti and Pancakes episode, Frank and I discussed his book, but our conversation had an emphasis on his mother and how his mother's issues played a role in the family. But in this conversation, I really wanted to go beyond the book and talk to Frank about what is not in the book. So specifically things like how did this turmoil affect him personally? I wanted to know how his upbringing played a role in who he is today. Many people, unfortunately and unintentionally, continue this cycle of abuse and addiction, but I wanted to know what that meant for Frank and for his life and things that worked for him, coping mechanisms, techniques, tools that he used to overcome such things. We talk all about it in this episode. So if you have not listened to Pavarotti and Pancakes Part 1 yet, I highly encourage you to do so because the stories that he tells are just nearly unbelievable and it really sets the stage for this part of our conversation. But just a quick note, maybe a reminder if you listened to the first episode, but even if you didn't, you should know that Frank and I wanted this conversation to be as authentic and genuine as possible. We just wanted it to feel like you were sitting in the room with us just listening to this raw conversation. So as part of that, you should know that the room where we recorded this conversation, there were actually children playing outside in a courtyard. And so you can hear kids playing in the background. But it was actually really refreshing because during this dark and heavy conversation, it was nice to just glance out the window and see these precious kids laughing and playing. So when you hear the kids laughing and playing in the background, just know that that's what it was and that Frank and I actually really appreciated their contribution to help lighten up such a heavy conversation. So once again, here's the second part of my conversation with my friend, Frank Granary. Okay, so let's switch gears from your mom's story Mm -hmm. to you and everything that you had to do Mm to protect everyone in your family, including yourself. Mm -hmm. How did that dysfunctional background affect you and your mental health? Oh my goodness. Yeah. So at 15, I declared to my parents, maybe as a lot of 15 year olds do, I don't know, that I was suicidal. Mm -hmm. I had had terrible acne, not like an occasional pimple. I mean, like when your face was invaded. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so my self-esteem was really low. Um, my mother by 15 was already a lot to handle. Mm-hmm. My father was already struggling with that. So I was already slipping. I had stumbled upon a tape program by a man named Tony Robbins. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've ever heard of oh, Tony yeah. Robbins. Mm-hmm. 
and the program was called Personal Power. I literally found a box of tapes in the downstairs closet, and I was like, oh, what's this? And I fell in love Mm -hmm. with the program, which was basically all about rewiring yourself. I knew I needed to be rewired Mm -hmm. because I had two bad electricians, Mm -hmm. mom and dad, Mm -hmm. despite their best efforts or lack of had wired me in a complicated fashion. So 15 is when I started to look at self-help and how to redefine yourself, change who you are internally. I got into therapy, psychotherapy, when I was um, 26. I was 26, and I was an excellent patient Mm -hmm. because I had watched my mother not be Mm -hmm. an excellent patient. She would have a psychiatrist or a psychoanalyst, and she would miss the appointment. She wouldn't take the medication. She wouldn't do the homework she was assigned sometimes. She would cancel last minute. She'd show up late. Mm -hmm. So when I became a participant in psychotherapy, I said, I'm going to do this the best I can. I would show up early to the the meetings. Mm -hmm. I would really try to be present in the discussions. If I was given a homework assignment, by the therapist, I would do it. Um, and I probably went 40 times a year. You figure holidays mm-hmm. and stuff, you don't go those sure. weeks, but 40 times a year for nine straight years, wow. that's 350 or 360 some sessions. Mm-hmm. And at one point, I even went to a specialist and then to another specialist because I came from such a severely dysfunctional home mm-hmm. that I was severely dysfunctional inside I even tried hypnosis Mm -hmm. and had some wonderful results from hypnosis Uh, I turned to the church for quite a while I was raised Catholic so I would go and talk to what I call the carpenter's son Mm -hmm. Um, for some reason that made him more relatable to me than the son of God well sure I mean coming from Right. Your dad who was the contractor. contractor. Right. Yeah. 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 But I thought the son of God, no, I can't talk to that guy. He's a rich kid. Right. He's a rich <laughs> kid. He's a rich guy's kid. Right. <laughs> yeah. But the carpenter's son, I would you know, I could see him on a job site. Yeah. And I'd be like, Who's the really who's the with the long hair and the beard? Yeah. You know? Yeah. I could yeah. literally see that. I'd be like, Yeah, what's up, Jack? And like because yeah. I had a, I had a very um I had an excellent uh, upbringing through school. Mm-hmm. Uh I went to a little tiny Catholic uh, grammar school where it was very family-oriented. And one of the nuns, although a little controversial in in the sense that she didn't abide by all the teachings of the catechism per se, she she did say, I remember her saying that, think of Jesus as a friend. Mm -hmm. And I thought, okay, I like friends. I can Mm -hmm. can see that. So he's an all-knowing friend. Mm-hmm. So that's what, um, that helped me through the 1990s for sure. I would go to my church, it was open 24 hours a day, and I would sit and talk to him like I'm talking to you. Mm-hmm. you know, sort of wait for the answers to appear organically in my inner self. Mm-hmm. You know? yeah. So... Tell me, I know you, you mentioned several of them, but tell me what tools you use to help your mental health because I'm a big believer in there's no 
one size fits all. There's so many different sure. approaches that everyone should do. And just because one thing doesn't work doesn't mean that, you know, something else won't. So tell me what worked sure. for you. So over the years, I have been into goal setting. Now you might, a listener might say, well, what does goal setting have to do with mental health? Well, for me, it'd be like if I said to you, hey, Chris, I want you to come visit with me. Let's, let's hang out on Thursday. And you say, great, where are we going to meet? And I say, oh, I don't know. Mm-hmm. And you say, well, okay, but where are we going to meet? Oh, anywhere. Mm-hmm. Okay, but I want to hang out with you, but where? What time? Mm-hmm. Oh, I don't know what time. Mm-hmm. In other words, you have to eventually get specific about mm-hmm. what you want, mm-hmm. who you want to be, how you want to carry yourself, mm-hmm. what do you represent, what is your story on earth about, Um so because I came from such a chaotic background, I needed the clarity of a target. Mm-hmm. So I got in the goal setting in high school um, through Tony Robbins. Then a man named Brian Tracy, who's also a self-help guru, talked about writing your goals down in the morning and at night. Mm. So I did that for a while. Then I would write them down on an index card and carry them around with me and read my goals. My goals were normally six months. Mm-hmm. Um, they were normally a personal goal, you know, some personal trait that I wanted to make sure I exemplified. I also felt that we're all, of course, born. And then some of us have a religious rebirth. Mm-hmm. But I thought, hmm, why can't I re create myself in the sense that I don't have to let the past dictate the rest of my life Mm -hmm. Um, because I was just a passenger in the past Mm -hmm. at least in my past Mm -hmm. but I was going to be the driver of my present and my future Mm -hmm. and I didn't want that screwed up map to be the only map that I used Mm -hmm. moving forward that's where I got into the hypnosis. I cried through many of the hypnotic sessions because they would take me back. They put you in this trance, basically, and they would take me back to when I was a little boy, when I first started to feel unworthy or mm. broken or sad or whatever. Um, they kind of impressed upon me that you, A, they said, everybody's hypnotized. And I mm. thought, wow, that's interesting. Everybody has a belief of who they are. Mm-hmm. It's normally just thrust upon you. Yeah, Somebody's, totally. Somebody yes. says, yeah, you're bad at math. Oh, yep, oh, 100%. Yeah. That's what people say about you, and that's, yeah. that's the identity you take on. Right. Mm-hmm. And I thought, wow, in that case, nobody asked me what I wanted to be, yeah. who I wanted to be, how I wanted to be. Um, so that was powerful. Just reading self-help books, I did visual a visual visualization for a while, mm-hmm. and it was freaky um, because you could manifest things. Mm-hmm. Now, I know people think this secret or whatever is like woo woo and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And maybe it is, but I know that for six weeks I would go to bed, and before I would fall asleep, I would picture myself um, in this case driving a Hummer. Mm-hmm. 
But I was a school teacher who should not have been driving a Hummer. <laughs> but I would fall asleep because I thought, I want to pick something so big that on a school teacher's salary, you can never afford to drive a Hummer. Yeah. So I went to bed for six weeks, visualizing driving a Hummer, visualizing driving a Hummer, visualizing driving a Hummer. Finally, I went to a car dealership and they had a used Hummer for sale. Now, even the gumption to ask the salesman for a test drive, I was hesitant because I thought, once they check my income, I'm not going to be qualified. Mm -hmm. But still, I said, uh, can I test drive the Hummer? Of course, sir. Mm -hmm. Give me the keys. I slide into the Hummer and it felt like I had been there before. Mm -hmm. Even though I hadn't. Mm -hmm. I test drove it and I thought, wow, this is... I can't technically afford this one, mm -hmm. but I did such a good practice visualizing that this feels like my car. Mm -hmm. So I eventually didn't buy that one, but I bought another SUV that anyone who got into it said, oh, this is a Hummer. It wasn't. It was wow. like a knockoff uh -huh. Hummer. But I thought, yeah, I, I manifested that. Yeah. Then I decided that I wanted to live in a penthouse apartment. And I wound up living in a penthouse apartment for five years. Mm -hmm. Now, it was my father's investment that he had purchased, but that happened well after I started to say, I want to live in a penthouse apartment. Mm -hmm. Again, as a school teacher. Right. And I was able to pull that off. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm an avid golfer. So I decided I wanted to shoot a certain score mm -hmm. that was well below what's called my handicap. Mm -hmm. And I wrote it down every day, every day, every day, every day. By a certain date, I gave it a due date. Mm -hmm. And do you know that the day that it was due, I, I shot the score that I wanted to shoot? And, and I thought, man, wow. Like, yeah. that's, that is amazing. You mm -hmm. know? So when it came to my book, I knew that even though I wasn't a trained writer, that I had no background in terms of family writing, my father's side of the family thought they were talented and some of them tried writing stuff, but nobody ever did anything really. Mm -hmm. I kept holding this vision that I'm going to publish a book. It's going to be a blue cover. I knew that. It's going to be called Pavarotti and Pancakes and it's going to be a big hit. Mm -hmm. I, I kept that in my forefront of my mind. And as you know, it's a blue covered book mm -hmm. that although I'm a self-published author, is slowly starting to catch some fire. As you know, I, I beat out a thousand other authors mm -hmm. to win the prize for my genre of memoir slash nonfiction. Um, and I continue to feel like I'm just one connection away, one, uh, one moment or person away from it going mm -hmm. and then becoming a thing that catches on mm -hmm. where even an average reader goes oh yeah I read that one or I've heard of that one yeah you know, sure kind of thing at 15 when you wanted to end it all that's like your life just getting started and I feel like the older that you're getting the more momentum you're getting in your life which I think is really cool because so many people throw in the towel way before that yeah yeah the one thing my father I got to give him credit for it. He, number one, supported me writing the book, even though he doesn't look flattering on every page. Mm -hmm. 
And number two, if you read the book, you'll see what you have, that he preached perseverance. Mm -hmm. And that has, I relied on that one skill more than any other skill. Mm -hmm. Just don't give up. Mm -hmm. um, Which was the speech that you talked about yes. uh -huh, when you were watching ESPN. Yes. Yeah, ironically, that, your future employer. You're Can right, you that is imagine ironic. this is like full circle? <laughs> I was uh, 15, uh -huh. right at the height of my depression and suicidal daydreaming, and in the first ever ESPYS. Yeah, that's ironic. That was the first ever one. I think Dennis Miller, the comedian, was the host. And for those who don't know, the ESPYS are like, a, like an award show for sports people, mm -hmm. basically, for athletes and such. Mm -hmm. And they were giving uh, like the main prize to a gentleman named Jimmy Balvano, who was the former head basketball coach at NC State, and then became a broadcaster. And everyone loved him. He had a big personality. He could have been like a talk show host mm -hmm. uh, guy. Mm -hmm. Now he was Italian from uh, Brooklyn, I think. So immediately, I already my brothers and I already liked him for that. Mm -hmm. um, and him and Dick Vitale, another East Coast Italian guy, mm -hmm. who ended up blurbing for my book on the front mm -hmm. of my book. I is know, him. I love it. That's so, so cool. I mean, it's ironic, you know, because yeah. Vitale is the one that introduces Jimmy Valvano on the night of the Espies. That's that, so that cool. hit me. So this gentleman gets on. You may have seen it's a very famous speech. Um, there's something called the V Foundation, which is for cancer research. Mm -hmm. He ended up dying of cancer. But this was six weeks prior to his death, and he was receiving the Arthur Ashe Award for Courage. And in his speech, he was everything. He was funny, he was poignant, he was preachy, and he also was manly all at the same time. And it made me cry. He, he closed the speech by basically saying, you know, don't give up, don't ever give up. Mm -hmm. And I remember my mother and I watched it together. I then excused myself into the downstairs powder room in the bathroom, <laughs> and I cried. Mm -hmm. I don't know why I didn't want to cry in front of her. I already felt distant from her because she was already a mess, I think. And she knew that I had something happened in the bathroom. She, are you okay? And of course, I played it off like, oh, yeah, I'm sorry. But I, to get back to everyone being hypnotized, I've been hypnotized to think that perseverance is the greatest thing that there is. Mm -hmm. That literally it overcomes talent, it overcomes adversity, it overcomes obstacles, it, it overcomes anything and everything if you just don't give up. Mm -hmm. you know, we will all expire and all leave this planet, so it doesn't, it doesn't overcome that. But the sadness so many of us feel and the brokenness and the loneliness and the despair. You can you can get over that. Mm -hmm. You can at least learn to manage it. And the biggest ingredient is just say not not today. Mm -hmm. I, I, I'm, you're not you're not going to get me today. I mean that little ghost of despair that haunts us that mm -hmm. haunted me for years. Mm -hmm. I mean I wanted to hurt myself. As I told you last night, I wanted to to sever one of my fingers for whatever reason that just would not leave me alone that desire to 
disappear, to kill myself, to hurt myself, which I then ended up doing emotionally. Mm-hmm. I ended up just belittling myself in my own self-talk, which was so damaging. Mm-hmm. And to get back to your story, or your point in my story, where I'm just getting momentum at 41. Imagine mm-hmm. if I had quit at 29, or 22, or 15, or 37. I really think, as I was saying to you off air or whatever, mm-hmm. that people will know me, that I will be someone in our society, whether it is in a Tony Robbins way, or whether it's in a political sense, or whether it's um, in entertainment form, or all of the above. Not that you have to strive to be someone in that, in that sense with your life, but I already know that. Mm-hmm. Like I'm currently living in a van. I think, mm-hmm. I, I think I shared that with you off camera. Mm-hmm. Um, would you believe that I knew that? I knew that probably four or five years ago. I would see myself in a white van. I'm not kidding. And I would see the open road through the big windshield of this van. And now it's been one year and uh, five days that I've been living in this van. Hmm. When I say living, mostly crashing in this van. Mm-hmm. In between ESPN gigs or, or stints at home visiting my brothers. But I knew that. That was something that five years ago I knew was going to happen. So when I sit here now in 2019 with you and I say, I know that you're going to see me one morning on Good Morning America or something. And you're going to go... Mm-hmm. You know, I already First know. First of all, you that. better tell me before you appear before, right. on GMA because right, right, right. I want to tune in or maybe go with you, yeah. be your cheerleader. And <laughs> I, I also know, and I'm going to say this in a humble way, that I'm going to have an effect on people that it's going to be a positive thing. Yeah. I already know that. Just like I know about, knew about the van or knew about the Hummer or knew about the. Mm-hmm. I already know that because mm-hmm. I've programmed my what I call inner guidance system to point at that Mm -hmm. and say okay we're going to go there Mm -hmm. the example I gave before you and I hanging out well where I don't know what time oh I don't know you have to decide yeah you know it's know what direction you're going in order to get there yeah who are you what are you about what do you represent what do you what do you stand for Mm -hmm. what are your morals your personal values Mm -hmm. what makes you more than just a, a meat bag that eats. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Well, I have no doubt that you're going to impact lives, whether it's know. through this book yeah. or through your, book, yes, yeah. <laughs> through your yes, through your sequel, um, or through speaking, speaking, yeah. coaching. However, yeah. however, you will mm-hmm. be used. I have no doubt that you will. Yeah. Even the fact that just meeting you one day for breakfast, mm-hmm. I was fascinated with you and mm-hmm. just your personality, and just thought you're just such a nice person that's the only way i could really describe you like you're just such a nice person so as i told you i legally changed my middle name to my mother's first name Mm -hmm. uh, well almost 20 years ago so i almost feel an obligation Mm -hmm. to honor what i call a little girl in the greenhouse Mm -hmm. a little girl that was raped and raped and raped and raped for years that ruined her. Mm-hmm. So I feel an obligation to be the best that I can. There might be a million people better than me. That's fine. Sure. But I feel a. It's my mission to be the best version of me that I can. Mm-hmm. Now, 
I have struggled along the way. Thankfully, never got into drugs or drinking, but as I told you, I, I was very promiscuous, which was so out of character for me. Mm -hmm. That wasn't who I was, but I relied on that as a, as a crutch or something to mm -hmm. prove that I was okay mm -hmm. or make me feel okay. It was like a blanket of some weird sort. And I regret all that. That was not authentically me. Mm -hmm. That was a band-aid of some sort. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, so I feel destined. Now again, that's my own definition. In other words, I've decided to manufacture that sure. destiny mm -hmm. in my mind. To be someone, to honor my mother and my father. As I say at the end of the book, frankly the voice in swing said Amy that they didn't have a chance. Mm -hmm. And so now it's my chance. And age is just a number. 41 is 41. Mm -hmm. it, doesn't, it doesn't mean anything. Mm -hmm. You're awesome. <laughs> Let me know if I can ever help you in any other way, though. Well, maybe, yeah. We'll, we'll put our heads together. More than happy to, yeah, yeah. help in any way. All right. Well, thank you for your time. Thank you yeah, thanks for hanging show. out. Oh, for sure. Thanks for being the inaugural guest. Yeah, that's right. Guest <laughs> number one. That's right. You guys, how insightful is he? He's just so fascinating to me. And the theory he talks about on how everyone is actually hypnotized to believe that they are what the world says that they are rather than determining themselves who they're going to be and what their future will be. That was like a light bulb moment for me. So, so many times we think that we are a product of our past, which most of us didn't determine the events that happened to us or affected us or the words that people used towards us that we ended up taking on as our own and believing that because people use these words towards us, that that's actually who we are. And that's not true at all. We have every single opportunity, every single day to dictate what our future will be. He could have so easily given in at the age of 15 or with every discouragement or rejection he faced throughout the rest of his life. And I'm sure they all felt like giant mountains before him while he was going through it. But I loved his enthusiasm for using his past and all of his talents and experiences for good. It's truly how we can create our best lives for ourselves. Plus, I loved at the end when Frank mentions being the best, most authentic version of himself. It just put such a fire in my heart to want to live my best life, my best version of myself. And I really want to continue along this path for the podcast, encouraging you guys to do the same because I really believe that if we all just follow our own path and the journey set out before us and using our innate gifts and abilities that we will live incredibly successful and fulfilling lives. I'm actually teaming up with another friend of the podcast on the same topic and I absolutely cannot wait to share that episode with you. I know it's going to be inspiring and encouraging so definitely look for that coming in the future. I believe that people are blessed when you share your innate gifts and abilities through genuine, authentic relationships with them, by learning about them, by genuinely caring about them, by putting yourself in a position to pick them up when they're down. And by doing that, those same people will be there for you in similar situations. 
I recently went through a pretty devastating event and I was telling a friend how this event has made me want to be more visible to my friends and the people that I care about because really we're all going through something. No one's life is perfect. Everyone has struggles. And just by checking in with them and showing them that I care, it just reminds them that I am genuinely there whenever they need it. Otherwise, it feels like, yeah, we may be friends and they may have heard me say, hey, let me know if you need anything. But when they're going through a situation of struggle I'm likely put on the back burner of their mind just because their thoughts and their focus, their energy is just in other places. But when I genuinely check in with them and encourage them and keep in regular contact with them, when they're going through a tragedy, I'm already walking through life with them. And rather than having to reach back on the back burner to contact me, they metaphorically can just turn to me because it feels like I'm already right there with them. So anyway, I hope that makes sense to you, but we have so many more incredible episodes plus a really, really exciting announcement I cannot wait to share with you. It's all coming up in future episodes and I do not want you to miss them. So be sure you subscribe to the show so it downloads to your phone whenever it's ready. And again, my most sincere appreciation to Frank for taking a few hours to talk with me over his book, Pavarotti and Pancakes. It's available on Amazon and I have a link in the show notes or you can visit his website, which is francescogranieri.net. I'll spell that for you. It's F-R-A-N-C-E-S-C-O-G-R-A-N-I-E-R-I.net, which is also linked in the show notes. But if you know of a friend who just needs some encouragement or you want to help me promote the podcast so it's easily found by other overwhelmed moms, please, please share it on social media. And you can also rate it in wherever you're listening to this podcast. So many good things are coming in your life. I just know it. And I want you to remember that despite whatever you may be going through, just remember that you are loved. You are not alone. And only you can live your purpose.